Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Many good-meaning, God-fearing Christians believe that Jesus keeps people from fiery trials, that it would be beyond him to let us go through things that are absolutely chaotic. And I think this belief has made its way into the Adventist church too. You know, some say the next thing on the prophetic timeline is the coming of Jesus. So are they right or are they dead wrong? Last week I touched on the idea, but this week I wanna get more into the nitty gritty of what the Bible says about the future of our story. Now, before I do, I need to explain something up front that will help you make more sense of what I'm about to share with you. The Bible seems to paint a picture that as time winds down for Earth 1.0 and before Earth 2.0 ramps up, we are going to see three distinct messages go out and be heard in all the world. You know, a few months ago, I wondered how would that happen? Three days ago, I started to realize when almost everything is shut down that now we have all this time to listen. So as I've said, I, I don't know what the future holds, even Jesus said, you know, no man knows the day or the hour of his coming. And in the message I gave a few weeks ago, when the music stops, we discussed how the final events of Bible prophecy have been paused for a long time because for some reason, Jesus believes we aren't ready yet. But that time of delay won't always continue because Malachi mentions something about the Lord's coming as sudden. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2, it describes it like this. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, unaware, unsuspecting, and then out of nowhere, something happens. But what happens is not what you think it is. So to really understand the future, you have to understand the past. To know what your friend will do tomorrow, all you need to do is often look to the past to know what they're really about and really know, you know who they are. So here's a question. Did Jesus keep the flood away from Noah or did he go with him through it? Did Jesus keep the plagues away from the Israelites or was he with them through them? And then the last one is a really good one. Did Jesus stop the fiery furnace as it was heated hotter and hotter or did he go into that fire with those three Hebrew boys? I can't say this emphatically enough. Jesus does not keep us from crisis and trial. To be a Christian is to have trial. And the men who stand in pulpits telling you to send your money and God will bless you and keep you from the trial. The Bible describes these as wolves in sheep's clothing. These men in their jets and their television shows, sadly, they're some of the most detestable things that Christianity has to offer. Because the Bible in the book of James even describes trials as a good thing. And Jesus often warns us of a coming crisis or trial, and then he goes with us through it. And he promises, I won't leave you or forsake you. But somehow most Christians believe that they will not be here when the final moments of earth's history unfold. 
Many believe a rapture, a secret rapture, a secret rescue will take place where the followers of Jesus won't have to endure the last scenes of crisis of Earth's history. This is why so many today don't seem to care about the environment. Because if you can connect these two, they don't think they'll be here long enough for it to matter. Now, I'm not saying the argument on the causes of it. That's a different discussion. But what if that's not true? That idea of, well, we'll escape before anything happens. What if this deception comes crashing down and Christians find themselves in the midst of a crisis that they never could have imagined? What will they turn to? What will you turn to in that moment? And who will you turn to? You know, the Left Behind series indoctrinated an entire generation of Christians, and I dare say many Adventists, who somehow think that Jesus will either secretly or openly burst through the clouds at any moment to rescue them from a planet in chaos. But I want to show you from the Bible that this is not true and that, in fact, what awaits a generation of Christians, Buddhists, atheists, and everyone else is what the Bible calls a time of trouble that eventually, one day, sometime, finally begins. Now, that, that event is months or years before the second coming of Jesus, the true rapture. So, you know, you look in this moment with 30 plus percent unemployment numbers coming out and being rumored about coming and increasing at a time when most jobs six months ago were already headed towards becoming obsolete because of automation and the rise of artificial intelligence. You know, I just want to say, friends, I think this time of trouble, or at least a time of trouble, has begun for a lot of people. And in a scale of magnitude, what will happen because of economic collapse will dwarf whatever happens with the pandemic. When the wealth gap continues to rise, and what we had three months ago was just escalated far beyond our imagination, with the haves and the have-nots divide increasing. Now imagine as unions are told their pensions are gone. I saw a story this week that said a teacher's union in Georgia lost $15 billion this week alone. So what do you think those truck drivers carrying our groceries into a town near you are going to do when they're told their pay will be cut, oh, and their retirement is gone? How about those teachers of our children? How about those medical unions? Trade unions importing and exporting food or toilet paper. You can see this becomes, you know, this, this comes close to home. So speaking of that idea, that moment, when the time of trouble, which is different than a time of trouble, speaking of that bigger one, that more momentous one, there was an Adventist author about 116 years ago who wrote a statement that I think is very interesting to consider today. And it said this, the trade unions will be the cause of the most terrible violence that has ever been seen among human beings. Doesn't mean they're causing it, but because of what happens, it could lead to it. And then it says, and will be one of the agencies that will bring upon this earth a time of trouble such as not has been since the world began. Now imagine that. And then let's say you add in some climate-related disasters, like an 8.0 earthquake, some F5 tornadoes, a few Category 5 hurricanes, oh, and some flooding on a scale that has never happened before. And then how about the food shortages due to crop failure or inability to actually deliver the food and pandemics multiplying and people wondering if God has abandoned them? What then? You can see these pictures of events 
and they start to have compounding effects. And I didn't even mention the most grand moment of Bible prophecy when humanity at large declares, we must legislate morality. It's quite, quite an amazing concept. So what do, what do you do if, if, if you're in this moment, all this chaos is ensuing, and then the Bible describes what if those you loved who've died, what if they started to come back from the grave? What if they started to talk to you, these messengers from heaven, and they've been sent to tell you what to do in the midst of this terrible crisis? How would you respond to something like that? If they said, all you have to do is side with the majority and you'll make it through this crisis. So all that I just described is just a faint picture of what the Bible says comes before the return of Jesus. And I didn't even get into what starts to happen in the heavens with the sun and a whole bunch of other things. So that's another sermon. But I think you get the picture. So before all that happens, and make no mistake, if the Bible is true, then that will happen to a generation of people on the earth, including Christians, before Jesus' second coming. Before all that happens, the Bible says there's going to be three messages that go out into all the world, all based really in one theme. This idea that Jesus is unselfish and he wants to save anyone and everyone. I want to just tell you a little bit about those messages. The first one is a call to those who believe in creation, a call back to their creator. This is a call, I think, especially to Seventh-day Adventists, since they profess to believe in a literal creation and they celebrate that, that idea that of I was created every seven days on Saturday, the biblical Sabbath. The second one is a call to all Christians, I believe. Those who are sincere and want to follow Jesus, but somehow they're in a church or a religious body that is not teaching the truth. And somehow deep down, you just feel something's not right. The second message, this goes to them, and I believe it's a call to come out of any of these systems that are confusing or confused. It's a call to live up to the truth that deep within your soul, you know to be right, but you haven't found the courage to step out and follow that conviction yet. This is your moment. And the third is a call, I believe, to the rest of the world. Those other four billion plus people, if we applied this message to today, this is a call to anyone to listen to the whisper of providence. This, this idea that something is, is speaking to me, that God is talking to you and wants you to stand for something. A call to be willing to stand apart, to stand alone if needed, and to be willing to stand through a moment when the majority could forsake you. And I hope someone is watching this that is identified in that group. I hope this message finds someone who hates Christians. And hey, you've got a lot of reasons to. They've been some of the most critical, mean, hypocritical people in history. But Jesus is not those things. And heaven will have kind people. So pray that we Christians make it there. <laughs> this message is to those who currently worship another God. But something deep down has you questioning what is truth. And this is your moment to search for truth like you would search for buried treasure. Don't stop seeking truth until you find it and you find peace. You know, it's easy to think you've found truth, but don't stop till you've found it. And then you'll be at peace with it. Nothing I can say can convince you of what is true. But I hope 
what I'm saying makes you question some things and then someone whom the Bible calls the Spirit of God will begin something in you that you can't shake, and I pray you won't shake, until you find that peace of knowing you've found the truth. This last call, this last message, is one that's also, you know, it includes a message to believe that God will do things in you and can do things for you that you can't do for yourself. This, this last call is to be willing to follow Jesus no matter where he leads you and to receive a mark of an entity would be, would, would be the worst crime to commit in this relationship. Because the Bible describes in this message that there's gonna be something called the mark of the beast that seeks to brainwash you and, and make you like cattle, like the majority, like everyone else. But I wanna encourage you, don't be afraid to stand for something. Because we're told that after we hear all these messages and they go to all the hearts of the world, Jesus is gonna stand up and he's gonna stand for you and he's gonna stand for me. He's not gonna stand against us. And then and only then, the Bible describes, there will be a time of trouble such as never was. And those three messages were promised will go into all the world. But I wanna hone in on two things that are true. Jesus is coming very soon. And Jesus is not coming very soon. So let me explain. Grab your Bible or your app, go to Google, whatever it takes. Look up Matthew chapter 24 and this chapter in Luke 21. These are extremely interesting chapters to read right now. They're both Jesus responding to his disciples, asking, when they asked him, tell us about the end of the world. What's gonna be the signs of your coming? What's life gonna be like just before you come back? And in Matthew 24 and verse 36, uh, in my Bible, this section is titled, No One Knows the Day or the Hour. And I wanna read it. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what, what do we do with that? So this idea of it's, it's coming, is it, is it his second coming? Is, is he saying this is just gonna be a total surprise? So I think there's a few relevant things that we can grab from these verses. The first one, being ready. When a crisis hits, being so ready because when that crisis comes, you can't get ready. You can't go and make up for all the time you lost in that very moment. In Matthew 25, the next chapter after this one, there's a story of 10 virgins going to a wedding and that everything happens in a crisis and you can't prepare for it. The crisis just brings out of what's already in you. You're either ready or you're not. So now today, this moment, you can still make decisions to follow God or not, make hard choices or not. But don't think it'll be easy to make those in a crisis moment. The second point is, is something that really answers some of these questions about the coming of Jesus. And I mentioned before, he's coming soon, he's not coming soon. 
I want to show you what that means. So the word in the English language using these verses here for coming, when we look at the Greek, something strange happens. The word that is being used is changing back and forth. And when you go and look at the context, you start to see two completely different pictures emerge. Why do I say that? So go back to verse 37. Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Here the word being used is describing the actual advent because it's used in other places where we know without a shadow of a doubt, that's what it's talking about, the second coming. And it relates to us, uh, this, this context that Jesus is describing, these are Jesus' words, like life right before the flood. They were going about life as normal, as normal as it could be. Uh, you know, they were thinking, this guy Noah, he's a lunatic, telling people about this event, this unprecedented event, the storm, like it never happened before. I mean, how's that going to happen? And it's likely he sounded like an alarmist, probably like someone screaming on the beach of Bora Bora that a snowstorm was coming to the island. I think it wouldn't be hard to say. Noah sounded like he was clearly cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but that didn't mean he was wrong about what was coming. So Jesus is saying, as life was before the flood, life will be just before my return. But then Jesus says something strange that it would be very easy to miss in verses 38 and 39. 38 says, for, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. And then it says, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Then it goes on to say something crazy. And they did not know, that's a key phrase, until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So my question is, what did they not know? The whole world was being warned of a coming storm, a coming flood all witnessed all these animals walking into the boat without anyone leading them. All were eating dinner, imagine, on this open field or passing by and seeing this strange preacher building this huge house-looking structure called a boat. This was the first of its kind for an event that had not happened. And every good scientist would have told you at this moment, this guy Noah is crazy, and this is not going to happen. But remember, everyone's watching, and the signs of the animals was very strange. All watched as Noah finally walked in, and somehow this massive door is closed behind him. And then, wait for it, keep waiting for it, walks in, the door is closed, nothing happened. Nothing happened. So everyone continued eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and we're told that life was normal. In fact, many began to make fun of Noah, shouting at him and his family, hurling insults at them for seven days, while life outside the ark was as normal as it had always been. The sky was blue, the sunset was amazing, the stars were glorious, and in verse 38, the Bible says they were living life as they always had until the day that Noah entered the ark. And we know for seven days longer, but then something strange happened. The Bible says that they did not know something until the flood came and took them all away. So the next few verses make it clear that those who were taken 
Those, those taken ones are the lost ones. And those who are left behind are the saved ones. And that right there wrecks the whole left behind secret rapture theory. And I don't mean to make light of something that, that many people take very seriously, but, but that false doctrine of a secret rapture is a lie. Scripture does not teach that. And the Bible is clear that being left behind means being saved in the end. You can see that in these first few verses. Who's saved and who's lost? But back to our point. They did not know. What did they not know until the flood came? Sequence of events. Noah goes in the ark. Nothing happens for seven days. Then a flood comes and then they realize. They did not know that seven days earlier, as they looked up at that crystal blue firmament, that now was dark and had rivers falling from the sky, they did not know that seven days earlier, their final moment to be saved, when Noah had boarded the last animal. And I imagine he turned around and he looked at thousands of thousands of people staring at him. He likely made one last little sermon. Hey everyone, I know you've heard me preach a strange message for 120 years, and I know the sky is blue but this will be the last time you hear me give this message. You can imagine him pleading with him, get in the boat, it's free, we have room. I know what I've shared with you sounds crazy. I don't know what rain is. Water from the sky, I don't even know what that would look like, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. Just because it hasn't happened before. But we know that story that no one responded. And Noah and his seven family members and all those animals got into the boat and the door of probation of the time in which people could be saved was closed on the entire world and that door was shut. That's when there was no more hope. People didn't know that until seven days later. And Jesus says it was that moment when the door closed that they didn't understand they could no longer be saved until seven days later when water began to fall from the sky and come up from the earth, rising up to their ankles, to their knees, now they begin to swim and it's in those final moments that they realized it's too late. It is too late in this moment to be saved. And the words Jesus uses in the Greek translation for coming and coming in these verses is different. He goes back and forth describing the second coming and the coming of the high priest himself into the most holy place of a heavenly temple to judge in favor of anyone who wants to be saved. Because the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in these very verses that before his visible, literal, audible second coming, another coming, a coming in judgment would happen. A lot of people don't believe this, but it is this that he describes is like a thief in the night. And as we look at the words he's using, it's clear. It's not the bursting through the clouds that surprises everyone. And somehow at that point, when the bursting through the clouds happens, people realize just like they did in Noah's day, it was back then when I should have made a choice. And, and Jesus here gently and kindly in verse 42 says, watch, because you don't know what hour I will be deciding your destiny, whether you know me and I know you. That's where it all comes down to, whether you want to be saved or not. And it's in these verses that he's emphasizing this point. In, in verse 44, especially, be ready. I'm going to decide your destiny your fate in the judgment at a moment when you least expect it. So you can hear all of this, all that I've shared with you, you can probably react in one of two ways. One, you can be afraid. If you're afraid, 
you don't understand Jesus' character like you should because he's on your side. He's rooting for you. He says he judges in favor of his saints, his friends. So if there's any fear, I want to encourage you to just say a prayer. Lord, I don't want to be afraid. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And then ask him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Whatever habits, addictions, sin in your life, just say, I need your help with this. I can't, I can't figure this out. And then get off off your knees and believe he's working for you. And then who can be against you? Then there's another reaction. The other one is excitement because you believe you and Jesus, you're clear. You're at peace. And when, when your name comes up, you're confident he will say, this is my guy, my gal. We know each other very well. I've been working in their life for years. I've got a place for them and they know it. You know, I think having that confidence in a relationship with you and Jesus is, is extremely important, especially in this moment and in these moments we find ourselves in. You got to know he's with you and not against you. I had a moment about a decade ago when I, I heard a message like this and I knew just like you know, whether you're at peace with God or not. And at that moment, I knew I wasn't. So this type of message can be hard to listen to because you don't know what to do. But I hope it will drive you to your knees to talk to this friend of yours named Jesus. And it's on that note that I just want to pray a prayer for you and with you. And I just appreciate you you listening and taking time to hear this message. So I'm going to pray. Lord, You know us. We can put on a front, but you know us. And I just want to pray that you will do for us what we can't do for ourselves, that you'll do in us what what we are clearly incapable of, that we will stop looking in the mirror, trying to create lists to bring ourselves closer to you, but that you'll do something special in our lives to remind us you're with us. And as we face trials, as we look at some things on the horizon that others could be terrified of, help us to not be because you've informed us of these things and that you've given us a courage to face them and that you'll go with us through them, but you won't keep us from them. I thank you for that reminder. And I pray this and for every person watching and listening today, we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.